And so with those candles, there's also a Washington State necklace and also a pizza card for coupons to go get pizza. And um, kids, you may go ahead and dismiss to Kidventure. It's Kidventure today. I see all those happy faces lighting up. They're like, ooh, we didn't know it was today. <laughs> I apologize about it being a little chilly in here. Um, after this week, I was like, I better have it on the AC mode because of how hot it's been instead of on the heat mode. And then it was pretty cold this morning, so I should have left it untouched. Um, there is an auto program feature on it, but sometimes it gets confused on the auto. So usually we either have it on the heat mode or the cool mode, and then it automatically goes by the timer. Um, Emerson once said, men are what their mothers make them. Abraham Lincoln stated, no one is poor who had a godly mother. And you know, it reminds me of what my son said. I, I know I already mentioned this recently. But when someone asks our kids, how, how do you afford such a large van? Aren't you poor? And then my um, second youngest said, no, we're not poor. We are rich. We have family. And so... <laughs> And um, but this message isn't going to be the typical Mother's Day message where you just get all flattered and <laughs> Allison's like, oh, I'm glad because she was glad last month, year's one wasn't either. <laughs> but I'm going to challenge you. You know, usually it's the Father's Day messages where the men get challenged and the women get praised and women still be praised as well. But I just want to challenge you in your spiritual um, growth. I'm going to read in 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, or uh, yeah, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who have saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, 
who have abolished death and have brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray, Lord, that it will accomplish as you would please. In Jesus' name, I ask the same man. The context in history um, of Paul writing this epistle to Timothy is in the middle of some Roman persecution, which was escalating under Nero. The hostility of those in the Ephesian church, there were some who resented Timothy's leadership, There was an infiltration of false teachers with smooth words, which no doubt may have been overwhelming to Timothy. Timothy was no doubt weaker and likely less effective than when 1 Timothy was written. Heresy, apostasy, and persecution had become destructive and even had took a foothold in the church that He was pastoring. A few years earlier, Nero, about A.D. 64, had ordered the torching of his own capital city of Rome, which burned for six days and nights. Not only the wooden shacks, not only where the poor people live, but where the wealthy were, the stone mansions of the rich, the massive public buildings, The magnificent pagan temples and shrines were gutted. And he had these all burned. The Roman historian Tactitus wrote, But all human efforts, all the lavish gifts of the emperor, and the propitiations of the gods did not banish the sinister belief that the conflagration was the result of an order by Nero. Consequently, to get rid of the report, because he was trying to get this done secretly, but it became known that he was causing the, 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 built church, the buildings, the churches, the homes to be burned down, that to get rid of that report, he fastened the guilt and inflicted the most tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. And he was pretty successful in getting the community to believe that it was the Christians that lit Rome on fire. And so great persecution came upon the Christians. Paul reminds Timothy in this letter of his authority even though he had a great relationship with him. Because Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy knew he was an apostle. He knew that. But yet Paul is reminding him of this leadership that he had when he gives this charge to him. Now, intimacy of of relationship does not exclude authority. 
the relationship of love that parents have with their children does not preclude their authority over their children. A parent-child relationship of love without leadership is doomed to tragedy for the entire family. No matter how cordial a working relationship at business may be, it could be business partners, it could, it could be whatever, it could be a great camaraderie, a, a great group um, that really, there, there, there is not just employees, but as friends. But if there is not respect for the authority figure, then the business really usually isn't going to get done if the employees are not following, following the wishes of the employer. Every worthy father deeply desires an unbreakable and rich relationship with his children. In the same way, Paul not only desired, but experienced and expressed the intimacy of bonding love that he shared with Timothy, his, what she calls his beloved son, whom wasn't his physical son after the flesh, but rather um, through his spiritual influence. He was eventually um, was saved and was born again. And so Paul reminds him of his leadership and that he, of himself being a mentor. Um, a love, as a loving spiritual father, Paul spoke with apostolic authority to his son in the faith. And that authority gave Timothy a strong incentive for obedience and trial sometimes. It also helped give affirmation. And in it, he's, he says in verse, uh, let's see, where am I? In verse 5, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. And then he talks about there being a, basically a generational ministry. He says, what dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. And so here we see an unfeigned faith of a mother and a grandmother. A faith that is sincere. A faith that is genuine. Not a faith that's just Hey, you know what? Let's, let's go with church out of routine. Let's go with um, church out of religion. No, this was a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a sincere faith, a genuine faith, that, that their walk with the Lord would not be hindered by anything else outside that may come against it. The reference to Lois and Eunice suggests that Paul knew those women personally and perhaps was instrumental along with Barnabas in winning them new Christ in their first missionary journey, which had taken him through Timothy's home area of Galatia. Go ahead and turn you Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. Acts 16 in verse 1, it says, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed. 
But his father was a Greek. I believe that's the implication there to say that he was an unbeliever. That, that he was not a follower of the faith of his, of his mother that was a Jew, Jew of, or of his wife. Which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra at Iconium. And so at this time, Timothy had already became well reported of. But we see that Paul brings up in his letter to Timothy that this unfeigned faith was first in his grandmother. Oh, the influence of grandparents. They are great. As well as the faith of a mother um, whose father was an unbeliever, not a follower of Jehovah God. They were likely Jewish believers under the Old Covenant who immediately received Jesus as their Messiah, Savior, and Lord when they first heard the Gospel, likely from the lips of the Apostle Paul. By the time of Paul's second journey, the woman had led their grandson and son to the Lord, and he already had become well reported of by the brethren. And that's where the passage we read, that would have been their second journey through. And Paul brings up also in chapter 3, verse 15, that it began before, it's from the testimony of um, Lois and Eunice, but it was the faith that comes from the Word of God. And it's the Bible in the 3.15 says, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise a new salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And at this time, he's not even referring to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures are able to make thee wise a new salvation, which is through Jesus Christ. I was talking with a lady a couple of months ago at um, my son's Civil Air Patrol program. Um, and you don't pray for me next week on Sunday morning um, before I'm preaching in church here. I'm going to be preaching at the Civil Air Patrol for a chapel service at the markmanship training that they're going to be doing. And so... Just pray for that. Pray for me. I have discernment of what to preach, how to preach. Um, it's the Civil Air Patrol. It's not a Christian organization, um, so to speak, but they asked a Baptist preacher to come preach. Can you imagine that? <laughs> but over there, a lady told me about her father-in-law. And her father-in-law told her um, shortly after... She got married to her husband. Um, that she, the father-in-law said, outside of your husband, you cannot come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That in your submission to your husband, the only way you could come to Christ is through your husband. She was shocked to hear those words from her father-in-law. Doesn't that sound crazy? You know what? Jesus died for all, male and female, Greek and Jew. Jesus is the one mediator, not any other man. So ridiculous for someone to say that your salvation has to come through 
your husband. Well, it's no wonder that Jesus said that, you know, those that would come to him wouldn't do so unless they hated their father and mother. In the sense of that, you know, like Jesus would come first. Because you go into the Islamic world, that yeah, if you put your faith in Christ, the parents are going to take it as you hate them. You hate the heretics that they gave you of their religion. And so being willing to put Christ above even family. And so it's a very crazy idea that someone has to get saved through their husband. But why is it then that sometimes, though maybe not vocalized, maybe not verbalized, women are sometimes prone to live their life as if they cannot spiritually grow without her husband being a spiritual leader? That concept's just as crazy. And so this morning, I want to challenge you to grow in your own walk and communion with the Lord. Yes, the Bible clearly says in Ephesians 6, 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There is the commands to men to lead spiritually in their home. But if they're not, do you let that hinder your faith? Do you let that hinder your walk with the Lord? Don't blame it on your husband on why you're not growing spiritually. And nagging your husband that your kids aren't receiving the admonition and nurture from the Lord from them is not going to help the situation. And I'm sure if any of you women have tried that, it never usually helps. But instead, pray to God. Lord, please help my husband to be the godly leader we need him to be, that we desire him to be. But don't ever use it as an excuse for why you cannot be growing spiritually. Why you cannot have a close walk with the Lord. That you could also raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, it, it has to be the case. It's in many times in different situations. You think about the military men that are overseas, and, and especially when there was impossible to have contact back at home or very hard to do so. That the woman had to do it on their own during that time. During those seasons, you be the best godly mom and grandmother you can be. Or a woman without children. You know, maybe you sought the Lord, you wanted children, God never gave you children. And instead of getting bitter, just a seven, God, there is a way I could be a mother to other children, be an influence to other people. To be a spiritual mentor. You know, a godly motivations to help us minister. To, let me just give a list of some godly motivations to help us minister to our family and to others. One is showing appreciation and affection. We see that Paul refers to Timothy as my dearly beloved son. 
and verse 4, he says, Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Perhaps he's recounting another time where he and Timothy were together and Timothy shared some things on his heart and there were tears um, maybe of joy or maybe tears of heartache, but he remembered those. Not only was Paul a blessing to Timothy, but Paul brings out that Timothy was a blessing to him. To be appreciated and encouraged and told that God has wonderful plans for them is a great motivation for young men and women who serve the Lord. And Paul's statement of appreciation for Timothy must have given that young servant of the Lord great confidence. The appreciation that Paul spoke from his own heart must have touched Timothy. And place him in a great sense of responsibility to live up to the high expectations of his spiritual mentor. You know, of our children, grandchildren, or children's ministry, the children that we have to minister to, or other people younger or even older um, than you. That you show appreciation and affection. And it will help you touch lives. We just listened to a preacher this week. And, and he was talking about, I also read an article, I talked about reasons to pray for slow growth in different areas. But I was listening to his sermon, um, I don't remember exactly what, what the whole thing was on, so I don't hold it against you when you don't remember what I've preached, okay? It's, I, use, I don't remember why I preached last week either, okay? But he talked about how sometimes people could get disheartened and about that their influence doesn't seem that great, or that they're not in a great area of a great population. This is what it was. And so then this preacher talking about, this preacher was preaching at the graduation conference that my sister-in-law just graduated from. And he was preaching to thousands of people. And he talked about his pastor. It was just a small country church, church like ours. Small church, not a well-known pastor by any means, but how he had touched his life and that he had the opportunity to preach to thousands. But he's talking about it's not the preaching to thousands that's the issue, that the issue is, are you touching lives? And you don't need to be a preacher to be touching lives. You could be touching lives in here and outside of these walls by your influence. Women and men ask you, are you touching lives? Are you trying to make an impact? Are you showing appreciation and affection? And we also see an example from Paul was affirmation. He told Timothy, when I called a remembrance, the unfeigned faith that is in thee. He's giving the affirmation. Now he, he knows of the faith that is in him. He knows he is a believer. And that sometimes we as parents, that is helpful and healthy to give that affirmation to our children, to our grandchildren. Not to just belittle them. 
Not to just say, man, isn't that embarrassing? You know, I've had my wife mention to me at times, you know what, like my son was doing something really weird or strange, and I go, man, wouldn't that be embarrassing if, man, your friends found out this about you? She's like, you know what, that's not the way to motivate. You know, we're supposed to motivate by grace. You know, we don't, we don't make decisions based on whether we're embarrassed or not. Otherwise, what does it teach our kids? Oh, someone's getting picked on for being a follower of Jesus. Oh, daddy doesn't want it to be embarrassing, so I guess I just won't share my faith anymore. So we can sometimes have the opposite effects by the words we speak. And so, man, thank God when your wives point something out like that to you. And again, wives, remember, stronger is prayer. Pray for your husband when he makes foolish statements. Amen. But we see Paul gives Timothy affirmation, a confidence that he could believe in. We see that Paul let Timothy know that he was praying for him. He says, without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. I'm sure that was a great encouragement to Timothy as he read this letter from Paul. His mentor was praying for him regularly, though he did not have Paul's companionship present with him. It's a wonderful thing I know your mentor's praying for you. To know that he's speaking to the Lord about you. Had my pastor call a couple of months ago. And he said, Hey, I just want to know what you know that I've been praying for you. Have you um, gotten a song leader yet? I go, yeah, we do. He doesn't believe he's one, but he's doing it. The Lord's using them. Amen. Uh, so I, but I had no idea he was praying for me until he let me know. And then he told me that he prays for me every day. Every day. You can't say that really about anybody. That I've prayed for them every day. Now convicting that is to me. Man, I really pray for people. And I used to think, you know what, you pray for them, but you don't really need to let them know you're praying for them because the Lord knows. But then let me know how it felt to know that he was praying for me. He was praying for the ministry here. So don't not tell your children that you're praying for them. Let them know. Let them know that you're praying for them. And that you have great desires for them. Ellen had great devotion this morning. That, you know, we set goals for ourselves. And we have desires for our children. Our children need to learn to set their own goals. You know, when we try to set our own goals for our children, you know what, we maybe feel like a failure when they're not met. But to set goals, to be the best parent, the best testimony we can be, and express our desires and our prayers to our children. And let them hear you pray um, for them. And make sure you're not just doing like a negative context, okay? Like, man, Lord, I pray for my rebellious child. And he's right there listening to you, okay? 
that's probably not going to be words of affirmation to him. But there's no better way to motivate other believers to consider their accountability to be faithful and to move their hearts in service of Christ then you continually hold them up before the Lord in prayer and to tell them of it. Paul's example of ministry after the manner of fathers and mothers. You could turn to your first Thessalonians 2. I'm just going to keep moving along just for time's sake. Um, I was intentionally making this message shorter, and then I realized my notes are the same length. <laughs> but first Thessalonians 2.11 so it says, ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you is a father of his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who have called you into his kingdom and glory. That here is a preacher. Paul mentions that is a father. Similar to as a father does with his children, that he exhorted them. That he comforted them. And so fathers don't think that comfort is just a mom's job. Okay, here he talks about fathers being a comfort. And then charge every one of you as a father of his children. Now you know what? He charged the congregation. Similar to how a father maybe charges his child. Okay? Not like a bull chasing after his son. Okay, But charges them, encourages them, lifts, lifts them up. But someone confronts them, challenges them. But then we also see the balance of the preacher not only doing the part of a father, but also the part of a mother in verse 7. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherish of her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Now you know in the ministry for the preacher, supposed to charge like a father of his children, but also to be as a nurse to her children and gentle amongst them. You know, it could be easy for a preacher who has perhaps grown in the Lord for many years to have expectations of a new believer that are way too high. That they have not been given time to grow in Christ. That they expect everyone in the church to be super Christian. And that it isn't going to work. You know what? Healthy things grow. And most healthy things grow slowly. You know, if you want healthy food, you're going to most likely grow it out of your garden not put it in the microwave. You know what? A healthy child takes months in the womb to grow. It's not like just overnight the seeds fertilize and boom! Labor happens. Mom's like, praise God for that. I'll take the nine, ten months of carrying and then it's just go Poof! be destructive. Things that grow too fast can be harmful. And it could be possible for a new Christian to grow so fast that they start taking meat before they could really handle it and to be a stumbling block to them. And so be patient with new believers. 
Be as a nurse, cherish of her children. Be an affectionately desirous. Yeah, I want some feedback. What are some struggles mothers go through? Being tired. All right. Being tired. Being worn out. Being inadequate. Okay. Not feeling like you're good enough or... Okay, you know, my wife came homeschooling. Sometimes you feel like, man, they're just not getting it. And there are sometimes some areas where our kids get behind in some areas. And sometimes it's not all of them. Sometimes it's, other, it's one of the kids or two of the kids. And then in other areas, they're more advanced. But because of the areas they're not advancing, there could be, man, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I'm inadequate. Okay, absolutely. Any others? And the other moms want to testify. What's that? Okay, yep, overwhelmed. Okay, so kind of going beyond just being tired. Let me, oh, I'm overwhelmed. Anybody else? Not appreciated. Okay, yeah, all the work, all the labor. You know, sometimes men think to keep us at home. Maybe think, what are you doing? You're home all day. You got all this time. And then sometimes the men that have their wives that are working don't show appreciation that, you know what, they're working ju- just as hard at work, and then they come home and are working with the kids and don't have time to really rest. And then sometimes the dads are like, and the husband are like, oh, man, where's dinner? Why isn't dinner ready? Why isn't the house clean? Oh, well, your wife's been gone working all day, too, after she got them to go off to school early in the morning. Anybody else? Some other struggles. You got one on your mind, Mel. I see it. Yep, yep, absolutely. He's gone at training, and he's been, he was gone at training like a week ago, and then training again. The fall time, he was at the church a lot doing remodeling. You know, it's amazing she even made a church with all her kids. Several children. How many children do you have? At home, five at home right now. It's a lot. To just get up, get motivated. She owns her own business. Busy. She should be commended, faithful, coming here while her husband's away. Man, women are often unappreciated. Any others? Yep. All right. Yep. Getting impatient. You know, whether it be with your children, your husband, with yourself. There's a lot of trials, a lot of struggles that um, women will go through in life, particularly as um, mothers. Well, let's read in verse 7. For God have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now both the Old and New Testament speak of a fitting and proper fear of God in the sense of awe and reverence. But this spirit of fear is speaking of the timid, cowardly, 
and shameful fear that is generated by those who are at the time weak. And with all those struggles that the mothers mention, it can be easy to feel weak. But I want to remind you, whenever you find whatever that weakens you, realize that God is never responsible for our feelings of intimidation, our cowardice, our lack of confidence, or us being shameful of Him. The anxiety you may feel at times of hardship or feeling inadequate, that's not God putting that in you. God does not give you a spirit of fear. Our flesh does. That our exhaustion may do so. But that isn't an attribute that God is given us. The mental battles that um, we may all face, whether you be man or woman, to try to put that in place, that you, to understand, this is not God that has given me this spirit of fear. This is not God that has given me this sense of anxiety. Now, the Lord may withhold special help until we have the special need. We have Jesus speaks to his apostles. Um, when when the, the government would take upon them or the religious leaders would take them to the courts, many of them be put to death. But he says, but when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak, for it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speak of in you. And he tells them, you know what, yes, this is going to be intimidating, but that's the fear of man. And the fear of man is a snare. And that, yes, they're going to take you to the courts. And you know what, any of you that have been to court before, it's fearful. You know, especially when you even know you're innocent. But there's this lawsuit against you. It could be intimidating. But it is not God that gives that spirit of fear. It's ourself. It's our flesh. And I'm not faulting you for that happening. That's, we're made of flesh. And we have the sinful nature that makes that flesh worse. But that's where if we challenge ourselves in our growth in the Lord, if we're, if we're one with the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and not, not meaning the Trinity sense, but as Jesus said, be one, um, as the Father and I are, um, in the sense of there being a unity and a fellowship, that it will help you through those situations. When we are apprehensive, we can be sure it is because our focus is on ourselves and our own human resources rather than on the Lord and His available divine source resources. He has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. When we live our life with the mindset of defeat, we can likewise be sure that it's not coming from the Lord. And we're always feeling defeated. Usually it's because we're overwhelmed. Usually it's because we can't get everything done we want to get done. We feel defeated. 
And you know what? That's part of the curse in life. You know what? We're going to feel defeated at times. But again, that is not coming from the Spirit of God. God gives us a spirit of power. A power of victory. Zechariah 4.6 says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, say of the Lord of hosts. It is of utmost importance to understand that God does not provide His power for us to misappropriate it for our own purposes, but to accomplish His purpose through us. And when our trust is only in Him and our desire is to serve Him, He is both willing and able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. God does not want you mothers, grandmothers, men, to live defeated. Yes, there will be times where He allows us to suffer defeat in life. But our spirit ought not to be of one that is defeated. We see of love as well. He's given us a spirit of love. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts about fear, because fear hath torment. He that fear of is not made perfect in love. There's no fear in love. You know, say you're intimidated by someone or some situation. You know what? Love them. There is no fear in love. And you know what? With the power of love, love, think of no evil. Charity, think of no evil. And it's going to be, you know, our thoughts, our initial thoughts of someone's motivations. We better be careful when we judge. Yeah, there will be times where, you know, you have discernment. You know, the Lord's given you discernment to kind of see someone's motivations. But make sure that's really coming from the Lord and it's not just your own thoughts. That is, the Bible says, Again, that charity, think of no evil. Don't think evil of them. Don't think evil of their thoughts. You know, it just yesterday, you know, someone thought I was thinking evil of them. Yeah, I was like, oh, no, why, why, why do you think that? And they mentioned that. I was like, no, they didn't come to my mind. But they're thinking evil of me, thinking I was thinking of evil. <laughs> but. But then, but then, you know what? That was doing the right thing. You know, a brother going to a brother. Because then there could be reconciliation. Even when they're damn and no, there was anything that was um, separating. And it was just something really uh, minor as well anyways. It wasn't even um, any biggie at all. But love, think of no evil. Of others, of your husband, of your children. And Paul also says, of a sound mind. This is a God-given discipline of the mind that allows believers to control every element of their lives, whether it's positive or negative. It allows them to experience success without becoming proud. And you suffer failure without becoming bitter or hopeless. 
There's a discernment, a sober mind, a clarity of thought. The disciplined life is the divinely ordered life in which godly wisdom is applied to every situation. So we have the power, uh, or the spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind. All three of these are spiritual attributes. They're not natural endowments. We are not born with the spiritual aptitude of them. Sure, we see love is, we can see that love is natural, a child loving his mom. But here, Paul was talking about a deeper, a spiritual love, a a strong um, love that only comes from God. But it comes from God. And that's where we must realize when we're exhausted, when we're overwhelmed, when we want to give up, not shaming you. I'm just trying to encourage you to then be like, give it up to the Lord. God, you help me with this. God, I know that this spirit, this, this mental battle I'm having in my mind of feeling defeated and wanting to give up or feeling like everyone else is thinking evil of me. This is not of you, Lord. Lord, give me that spirit that of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And marvelous things will result. Paul tells Timothy to stir up the gift of God, which is in thee. No matter how gifted, this is a quote for someone else, no matter how gifted a person may be, or how well trained, biblically literate, or articulate one may be, if he or she lacks spiritual courage and commitment, they will not be effective for the Lord. You know, perhaps Timothy, in his exercise and his spiritual gifts, maybe they started to wane. And maybe that's why Paul tells us, stir up the gift that's in thee. God's given you a gift. Use it for the Lord. And whatever gift God's given you, use it for the Lord. Use it for the edification of other believers. Paul tells them, be not ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Be not ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Moms, grandmothers, when you're out in public, you embarrassed of your faith? I don't think any of you are. But sometimes by how often we verbalize it, it may appear like we are. I just read these two passages as I was studying this, and it was powerful to me. Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 2. Hebrews 11, 16 says, But now they desire a better country, that is in heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. You hear that? God, Almighty God, looks upon us, sinful, frail men and women, and He says, I am not ashamed to be called their God. Praise God! God, the Creator, is not ashamed. To be our God. Not ashamed. That is amazing. If anyone is to be embarrassed and be ashamed, it would have been God. You know what we have? Okay, We have a perfect God. We have a perfect Savior. Why would we have any shame? And He has us who are but as dust. And in Hebrews 2, 
Verse 10, for it became him for whom are all things, speaking of Jesus, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons a new glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren, in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto you. So you have God the Father says, I am not ashamed to be called their God. And you have the Son of God who makes us joint ears with Christ, saying he is not ashamed to call us his brethren. Wow. Man, may we not be ashamed. May we not be ashamed in the community. May we not be ashamed to just randomly proclaim his name. You know, you can be a debate teller. Ask them how their day's been, and they'll say good. They're usually never going to say horrible. Maybe if you ask them at the end of the day, they might. <laughs> um, but they ask you back how your day is. You say, man, you know, it's wonderful. God is so good. I'm so thankful for what Jesus has done for me. You know, I'm thankful to be a part of a great community of believers. You know, I, my days just couldn't be better. To just be more proactive in sharing the name of Christ. To not be ashamed. I was just reading of another um, story in the past of, um, in, in China and um, just about 100 years ago and how um, they came in to destroy this batch of believers and they um, blocked all the doors except for one door and then they put a cross on the floor and they said, if you want to live, trample across this cross and, and leave. There were about 100, I believe, there were 95. And about seven of them went out and walked out on the cross. And then um, this girl got up, walked up to the cross, knelt down, and just started to pray. And Lord, please show your grace and your mercy to these people. Something along those lines, and... She got up and carefully walked around the cross and walked out. She got shot. Killed instantly. But not ashamed. No wonder Jesus said no one could come into the kingdom except they come as with the faith of a child. Simple faith. And after that, just about everyone else got up and walked around the cross and were killed. But they were not ashamed. And we who don't have any of that at this time happening to us. Sometimes we're ashamed just to mention, our, mention the name of the Lord to the public. Well, we're not believers. We don't want to push our religion on them. You know, as you've allowed the world to influence you to stop evangelizing. It wasn't Jesus that said, don't share your faith with other people. 
Okay, now he didn't say go with the sword and convert people that way. He didn't say that. Okay, he said, okay, if they don't want to hear it, dust the dust off your feet and walk on and move on to the next one. May we not be ashamed of a God who is not ashamed of us. And may we not be ashamed of other bodies of believers, of as a body of believers, other Christians, not to be ashamed. And in verse, let's see, we'll close here. In verse 8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Are you willing to be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel? The cross that comes with it. The great reformer John Huss was not ashamed of his Lord and he paid the ultimate physical price. In 1415, he was a pastor in Prague and also called the morning star of the Reformation. He was arrested, condemned, sentenced to burn at the stake for preaching the gospel. It's the flames engulf his body. He quoted Psalm 25-2, praying, O my God, in Thee I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. He was not afraid of dying. He was just afraid of being ashamed of his master. And he prayed, God, help me not to be ashamed. Being engulfed in flames, death. He wasn't afraid of that. But he had the humility to not want to be ashamed of his master. Psalms 119.46 says, I will speak of thy testimonies. Also before kings and will not be ashamed. You know what? Sometimes we can live our life that way. You know what? The people that we have common relationships with, oh, maybe we don't mind sharing our faith, but someone that we see as someone that's worthy of great respect, we kind of back off. Oh, the psalmist's like, hey, even before kings, let me share your testimonies. Let's go ahead and bow word in prayer. And if someone scheduled for a time of invitation, you could go ahead and come and play. Dear Emily Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. Help the mothers, the grandmothers, the ladies, and the men to live out a personal relationship with you. Do not use any excuses as a hindrance. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says, Who have called, saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. That God offers His salvation. It's His purpose, His calling. At the close of a gospel service, an intelligent-looking man came to a minister and said, I do not see any necessity for the blood of Christ in my salvation. I can be saved without believing in his shed blood. Very well, said the minister. 
How then do you propose to be saved? He says, by following his example. That is enough for any man. I suppose it is, said the minister. And you propose to do just that in your life? Man says, I do, and I am sure that is enough. The minister said, very well. I am sure that you want to begin right. The Word of God tells us how to do that. I read here concerning Christ, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. I suppose that you can say that of yourself too? The man became embarrassed. Well, I cannot say that exactly. I have sometimes sinned. The preacher said, in that case, you do not need an example. You need a Savior. And the only way of salvation is by His shed blood. And so if you don't know Jesus is your Savior, if you've been depending on your own works, on your own being good, your own heart, it's not good enough. We can't just try to follow His example because we all fall short. And so if you don't know Jesus, come talk with me after the service. I'll show you from the Word of God. Not through some creed, not through some statement of faith, but through the Word of God, how you can be saved. Thank you, Lord, for your Word. I pray, Lord, families will have a blessed day today. I pray, Lord, that we have been challenged to live for you. And during those hard times, to understand, you have not given us the spirit of fear. I've been in fearful times. But it wasn't you that caused us that fear. Because you give us the spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And may we cling to you in those times instead of clinging to our own thoughts, our own anxieties. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Shake hands, fellowship. Be friendly. This Wednesday night, I encourage you to come on out if you're able. We have prayer meeting at 7 o'clock. God bless you.